Hi and welcome to Natural Life Flow, the podcast for self-care to uplift you to your best self, sponsored by Debbie Spin Holistic Therapies. Feel free to like, share, subscribe and comment on the podcast. It's all appreciated and helps to spread the word and empower others. Today's special guest is Michael Bryan, an author, entrepreneur, podcaster and speaker who helps bring a fresh perspective onto self-care with dealing with his own two major health conditions. Enjoy the episode. Hi and welcome to the show and today's special guest is Michael Bryan who's a speaker, podcaster, author and entrepreneur that hasn't let cystic fibrosis and diabetes hold him back from achieving his dreams. Having got to the other side of zero self-worth and having a host of insecurities, he then suffered the loss of friends and family, which gave him a sense of mortality, motivation and an acute sense of purpose. He now gives fresh perspective on self-improvement. He has been on TV, spoken on stage and hosts a top-rated self-improvement podcast, The Ask Mike Show, where he's interviewed influencers and celebrities. Now he helps other entrepreneurs and change makers do the same and has written a book taking you through the whole process. Hi Mike, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Hey Deb, it's great to be a guest. I can't wait to see what we talk about. Fabulous. It sounds like you've had uh, quite the dramatic journey to get to where you are now. How uh, could you maybe give us an overview of what you've been through so far? Well, one of the... One of the main things that, that I've learned is hindsight is a very powerful, powerful thing. It, it's, a funny, it's a funny way that we try to feel good about what's happened or we try to justify it or we try to explain it. And um, at the time, it doesn't feel like there are any lessons at all doesn't feel like there's anything you can take from it. It doesn't feel like it's going to be beneficial in any, any way, shape or form. So being, you know, singled out in school for my health conditions that didn't, didn't realize that would impact me at all at the time. I was too young to really focus on it, but that, that, that did impact me. You know, I didn't like being in, on stage in front of people. I felt like, you know, I was being judged all the time. Um, and that, that impacted me in more ways than I would even imagine. And again, at the time you don't know it, you know, you don't realize it. You don't really see it until you look back. So that did make it difficult for me to present, to speak in front of even just my friends was difficult. Even just being in front of people generally was difficult. And it was made harder because certain aspects of my life, I, w- I was bullied for how I looked. I was bullied for the conditions. I, you know, it wasn't, it never got physical or anything, but it was nearly every day. And when you've got to force yourself to go to school, force yourself to do things that you start to avoid the negative stuff pretty quickly. So rather than put myself through potentially negative comments I didn't really speak to anybody because I'd rather have that than the alternative you know even if it didn't happen you know even if I'd have loads of friends even if everything would have been completely different to what it is today I didn't really want 
the negative. So I spent a lot of my time avoiding it, a lot of my time preventing it, a lot of my time just doing whatever it took to just not do it. So I mean, it helped in some ways because the sports that I enjoyed, the things that I enjoyed were also not very popular. I wasn't great at football. I wasn't great at rugby. I wasn't overly smart. So it didn't didn't add to the fact that, oh, I'm really popular because I was good at the things that everyone thought was good. You know, like if I was amazing at football, there's a reason why I was popular, right? I'm good at a sport that everyone likes. Uh, when I wasn't, one of my best sports was basketball, which isn't a very popular sport. Not many people are ever actually good at basketball. You know, we try, right? But there are very few people that are actually good at basketball. And I was one of them. You know, there weren't that. There were some that were good because they were tall, you know, near with the basket, right? Mm. But people like me that were like midgets, right? I had to have something else that made me good. You know, I, I could shoot, I could pass, I could run, I could do all those things. And if I had to, I gave it to a taller guy to put it in the basket. But that still made me good. You know, it was one of those things yeah. that, again, good but not popular. You know, you've got something that isn't popular. That was something that, that I had. And another, another one of the things that I was good at was tennis. I started playing tennis when I was about 16. Um, and that, I actually became a tennis coach at one point. And again, it's, it's weird when you change the, the environment that you're in how things suddenly got better. What I mean by that is when I left high school and one of the worst years of my life, pretty much, you know, couldn't fit in, wasn't good at anything that anyone really was bothered about. Um, you know, I wasn't still not massively good looking. So that did, I didn't have that going for me. You know, it was like, okay, well, I'm just not going to fit. But when I found like college and university, because I could choose what I wanted to do, and it wasn't like I had to put up with anything that I didn't want to do. So this was a funny situation where having the choice changed everything. Having the freedom to be able to choose what it is. Because like, when you're in school, it's all done for you. You know, you're, you're pushed through the system, so to speak. When you get to sort of 18-ish, is kind of when you're given the chance to choose. You're given the, the choice of what you wanted to do. And the only thing I was actually good at was sport. But so was everybody else that I was spending my time with. So when I told people, you know, I was, I was okay at football, not so great. Um, tennis was my thing. I was actually currently doing my qualifications to be a coach. Um, I went to the gym all the time and I played basketball for high school. So I wanted to play basketball for college. They were all like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Why? Because you're in the environment whereby that's actually good. You know, if, if I'm around smart people and I go, oh, I'm, I'm good at tennis, they don't, they don't care, right? If, if I'm around people that would much rather drink and go out and live for the weekend and I go, I'm looking at being a tennis coach, they're not bothered. So sometimes you've got to stick to what you want to do, keep going, push through it, because when you find the right rooms to spend your time in, when you find the right people 
it, your life's instantly improved. You know, you hear a lot about you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. A lot of the time, who you spend your time with dictates everything from your emotional health, your physical health. I've got people wanting to get fitter. And there's a part of you that's like, look, you've just got to spend more time with people that are doing it already or are trying to do it already. That makes your life very easy. And the, the way I would explain it is it dictates what's normal for you. It dictates what's normal behavior. Like if you spend your time around people that work 24-7 and you're off most of the time, it feels weird. Like you, you can't talk to them. You don't relate to them. Your lifestyle is completely different. It will feel weird and in some cases you'll feel more lonely than if you're around people that work all the time and you work all the time because it's like you're free when they're free you can chat to them you're more relatable it's very different even if you're working all the time because you're it's it's the similarities that make the biggest difference so when i was around people that were also sporty around people that were a bit in bit unconventional as well when I was around people that were boxers and martial artists, and I'm a tennis coach, it was like, oh, we, we, we get on even though we're good at different things. Like it's a weird combination of we've got the commonalities and that we like sport, we know what we're doing, we're very sort of disciplined in that way. Um, it's amazing how similar we are, even though our sports are different. So it didn't really matter that I was different in that way because we had similarities. And um, yeah, changing who you spend time with and the environment that you're in made a massive difference for me. You know, going from like this person that was always out of the way, always kept to himself, to suddenly this, I was reasonably popular in college, which was a complete alien experience for me compared to high school where I had very very few friends people that I wouldn't even call friends so people that you just pass by you wouldn't even call them friends it's like hey how, how you doing that was it that was literally the length of the conversation that we would have and going from that to people wanting to spend more time with me wanting to chat to me just to get to know me better and I'm like this is weird I don't even know how to do this how the hell do I have a conversation with these people? And that, that was a big issue for me. I hadn't had the experience or the training, if you will, to be social, to be likable, to be liked. That wasn't my natural state. It was keep to myself, do my own thing, and we'll see what happens. So th there is going to be a trade-off no matter what you do, you know, you can be overly social, but then you hate spending time alone. You hate your own company because you're not used to it. So there's a lot of pros and cons with a lot of the things that you go through, no matter what it is. Um, but yeah, as I say, it was a massive change for me, massive change, because I, I went from like nobody to somebody within like three months. And it was scary. At first, I was like, who, who the hell are these people? They want to get to know me. This is weird. Um, but pretty soon, it just helped me get out of my own shell to a certain degree. Like, if you, if you ever want a personal development journey for yourself, starting your own business 
is probably one of the biggest personal and self-growth things that uh, I've ever gone through. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. And um, yeah, the takeaway I get from that is like choosing your own uh, journey and making the choices that you want and then forming that environment around yourself where people are going to really... Uh, embody that and reflect that back at you and bring you on to your best self so um a lot of listeners are busy working mums and self-development i guess might be way down on the list after everybody else's responsibilities something that might be desirable but not they might feel there's barriers in the way there so what are the benefits? Why would they even start on a self-development journey? One of the things that I realized when I was starting this, this sort of coaching side of things, and one of my first businesses was tennis coaching, was personal training as well. So I got into the minds of a lot of the people that I worked with. And one of the biggest things that I would say on that is, you will you're actually able to give more the more that you have. So over the years, things have changed for me, things have changed for my clients, because when I focus on myself, you don't have to go over the top of it, whereby you neglect everything but yourself. But if you don't look after yourself, you can only give so much. There's always going to be a limit, but by looking after you, you realize that you can give the same amount and it not really affect you at all or anywhere near as much. Like it used to tire you out, but now it doesn't. It used to stress you out, but now it doesn't. Whereby you get to a point where, oh, maybe I can do this extra thing. Maybe I can look after my family a lot better. Maybe I can feel like I can be more present with my family, which I know is a big thing where like their, their attention's always somewhere else. Um, that can play a huge part in how you feel that you're doing as a parent, if that, if that makes sense. Like a lot of people struggle with the quality of time rather than the amount of time. Because sometimes spending more time when, let's say, you spend half of your day on your phone, that, that's, not, that's not ideal. That's not the best version of the solution as I, I've started to call it that now, whereby it's not about the solution, it's about how good is the solution. You know, the best version of the solution is spending time with people that mean you, you don't even know that you've got a phone because you enjoy it so much and you're so present in the moment with them that you don't even recognize that you have a phone, you don't need it. So that's the, that's all I would say with that because I think so many people struggle to really wrap their head around things like that and working on yourself can allow you to see things that you didn't know were there they allow you to see aspects of your life that you can improve that you weren't even aware of i mean there's nothing nothing wrong with it you know if you don't know that you don't know it it's it's a blind spot that you didn't know that you had so there's no like beating yourself up around it well, very often it's the self-improvement that opens those windows and allows you to see those things that you were just completely oblivious to before. 
Yeah, that's a great point, especially for um, parents and mums that put so much into like, everybody else's needs and sometimes even totally lose themselves and lose track of who they are pre-motherhood. Um, pre so really getting down to what makes you tick and what would enhance your own life will then really improve what you can give back, as you said. Um, how quickly could self-improvement impact a person? And then conversely, what are longer term benefits? I think what people need to sort of wrap their brain around a little bit is short term benefits are important because it's how you see the improvement in the long term. Most people can't wrap their head around doing something that you get results on five years from now. That like, your brain's just like, well, why do it now if I'm not going to see any results until five years from now? So most of the time, we need results in the short term and medium term for us to justify it consistently that you if you've got to get up and exercise every day but you don't see any changes or notice anything different in the first i don't know three weeks to a month you're not going to do it for the rest of your life and when we adapt and when we change and when we grow the results actually get less so if you say similar to like stretching right? i use the analogy for stretching when you first do it, it's painful, it's hard work, you feel a benefit, it's actually quite dramatic for some people, but then you think, right, I'll, I'll do this every day, I'll stretch every day, right? After about two weeks of doing it every day, you feel like you don't even need to do it. You know, you're just stretching, you're just doing your thing, you know, you're pushing yourself every so often, you know, but you're doing it every day, you're stretching every day, you start to feel like it's boring, you don't get the same benefit. It's not that you get the same benefit, it's that you don't lose it. So when you stop, you go backwards to the point where you start to stretch again, and then it hurts again, and then you can't do it anymore, but then you feel the benefit. So it's like some people don't do things that often, because every time they do it, they feel the benefit. Same with like everything from meditation to journaling, to reading, to listening to podcasts like this one. You don't do it every day because the benefits stop, because you become conditioned to it, because you normalize to it. And that's something that happened to me. You know, I, I normalized keeping to myself. I normalized being okay with my own you know, company, if you will. And that's something I had to notice and realize and understand that if I wanted to do what I wanted to do, you know, I gave myself a bit of a, a mission when I was 18 and I realized that you, you've got to change that. Like you can't stay in your own bubble and normalizing something that's dangerous is very dangerous. Normalizing something that's beneficial is actually more beneficial because you don't feel it until you stop. You don't suddenly feel like you need it until you stop doing it, which is an issue, right? Because we get better, we adapt, we change, we grow. And then you think, well, what's next? 
that's why people that let me use exercise as an example that's why people that are like athletes their workouts are something that we would never even attempt like our workouts are their warm-ups because they have to it's the only way they can adapt and grow and change and improve and then still feel the benefit so that's why we actually progress over time that's in line with us growing that's why you, like, in exercise it's like progressive overload as they call it you overload yourself a little bit every time you do it, it means it always feels a little bit of a struggle it always feels tough not because you're not improving but because you're actually doing more and working harder and putting more energy towards it as you get better so you, it works against this whole, when I grow, when I change, I stop feeling the benefit. If you progress with it and you adjust it, you have that little bit of a struggle every single time. That's not to say that you're not improving. That's not to say that you're not growing. It means that you need to do more to feel the benefit, but then you keep getting the benefits. You keep getting the results. You know, like when you meditate and you sit there and you go, Oh, I'm struggling. I can't do it for two minutes. And then you realize that in about a month or two, it's like, oh, I'm doing five minutes now. I need to do five minutes to feel the same sort of struggle as I used to get with two minutes. And then before you know it, you're doing it for half an hour. Because when you struggle, when your mind's playing tricks on you a little bit, that's what meditation does it means that you stay with your thoughts and you play that mental chess with yourself that's what it does some people can meditate for hours before they even get to that point why well they've adapted they've grown they've the brains changed they're able to feel better calmer in silence than you can that that's what it's about it's not about starting like as intensely as possible understanding what I've just sort of gone on a bit of a rant on, if you will, once you get to a point where that starts to make sense in your head and you realize that things are boring because you're not progressing. Things aren't getting the results that you want because you're not actually progressing. You've got this amount, you've got this level, and you've repeated it to the point whereby it's easy. You've repeated it to the point whereby it's normal. And once you get to normal and you don't, improve it you don't progress it you don't change anything i don't understand why you would expect it to do anything after a while you know we are going to normalize to it we are going to stop getting the benefit because it's no different from what you were doing three months ago six months ago you know they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same result the problem with it is the results actually get less the more you do it because we adapt, because we change, because we grow. But if what you do doesn't change and what you do doesn't grow, eventually you will plateau and you will get to a point where you're like, what's the point anymore? Most of that is because you've not changed anything. You've not adapted what you've done, your practices that you choose to do to fit this new version of you that's the reason why people don't keep progressing and why people don't keep changing and growing. Yeah. So um, 
I can see how it uh, builds up there. How would someone sort of draft a program out to build that up? And is it a case of monitoring it and being aware of your progression? Because like in exercise, you just end up doing things and rotating through the program. And you might not realize like, hey, I just used to do 10 minutes of jogging on the spot and now I'm doing a half an hour program. And it quite often doesn't sink in that you've actually made progress. And if you, quite often people, women with body image think, well, I still don't look how I'd like to look. The ideal, I've got this image in my mind of what I would want to look like and I'm still not there, I've not made any progress. So um, how would you sort of monitor that and work through that programme? It's actually a reasonably complicated thing to answer until you realise that, okay, we can approach what we want in many different ways. We can throw five things at the problem and we'll get better results than trying to just do one thing. So if you're trying to, let's say you want to lose weight, you get better, faster results if your diet and nutrition and your lifestyle are moving towards that. If it's just exercise, you won't get results as quick. That's just the way it works. You know, if you're trying to lose weight, and you're eating McDonald's and KFCs and takeaways every day, but you exercise for four hours a day, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be very, very difficult to lose the weight. And you're going to have to put your body through some crazy workouts just to feel the benefit. Whereby if you approach it from diet, stress relief, your lifestyle choices, you know, do you drive to work or do you cycle to work? Little stuff like that can make a big difference. You don't need to restrict your diet as much. You just don't need to. But then because you're approaching it from many different angles, it doesn't need to be as intense. You know, the four-hour workouts because you have KFC every day. Like you, you're going to have to do something in those four hours to negate the fact that you eat fast food every day. Whereby if you eat reasonably healthy... I'm not talking salads for every meal. I'm talking just monitor it. Monitoring can make the world of a difference. You don't even, you don't even have to like, progress with it very, very quickly. How do, I, how do I sort of explain it in the best possible way? Awareness can do more for your actions than anything else. I know if I sleep well, I don't need to eat as much during the day because my blood glucose control is a lot better. I feel more energized. I've got more energy. So I don't need to drink as much caffeine. I don't need to eat as much sugar just to give me the energy that sleep would have given me. Lo and behold, my diet's better. Lo and behold, my stress is a lot less. So I'm not stress eating. I'm not boredom eating. I'm not doing all those things that trigger people to do things they wouldn't normally do. And what have I got to do? Make sure I sleep well. So it gets very, very simple once you think, okay, how can I prevent these things? If you stress eat, how can I stress relief? What's the best possible version of it? A lot of people's struggles are 
like they try to do things without realizing why they do them. And I'm not talking about the changes, I'm talking about currently. So if you're stressed out all the time, okay, would you be stressed out as much if you had less to do that day? Probably, okay. If you took 10 minutes for yourself and just sat there and just tried to relax your body and your mind for 10 minutes, would that help? Yeah, okay. Do you need to do this massive elaborate program in order to like do those things? No, because one of the things that does help is the lifestyle is the solution. It's how you live. It's who you are to a certain degree. I, mean, I, I could say, you know, if you want to be healthier, do these things. But if your lifestyle doesn't relate to that, doesn't allow for that, you've got no chance. You know, I've worked with people that have full-time jobs, two kids, they've got responsibilities, right? Like if they've got like after-school clubs and they've got, you're like human taxi, right? And you've got to carry them everywhere and you've got to have your own me time, which very rarely happens. And it's like, okay, well, if you're tired at the end of the day, working out is going to make you worse, not better. One of the things that people don't seem to get is if you work out when you're already tired, you're not going to be able to work as hard because you've got to push through that, that barrier of tiredness to get to the benefits. But if you're already tired, you won't be able to give what you can to the workouts. So something quick, sharp in the morning, get it out of the way before you start your day. That could energize you for the day. That could set you up for the rest of the day and be so much better. So what you've got to do, you've got to look at your lifestyle first. What can I integrate into my day? And I'm not, I'm not saying don't take the kids to football practice because you'd probably rather do that and get the, the sort of parental high of watching your kids do really well, right? We've all been there. You'd rather do that than work out. I get that. So you've got to link your lifestyle to your priorities to what you really want to do. But then it's just about not sacrificing yourself to do those things. You know, in a very fortunate position, some people aren't. You've just got to do the best with what you can and then move forwards from there. There's no point in saying you need to meditate every day, you need to exercise every day, you need to journal every day. Because I once had a client, I, I did have that approach with them once. And I said, you've got to meditate for half an hour. Just sit there. No matter what thoughts you have, no matter what sensations you feel, you need half an hour. doesn't matter what it is. Just set the timer and just go. Even if you're checking the, the time constantly for half an hour, that's the process. Because after a month, you won't do those things. But that is the, the, the growing pains, if you will. Then you started to say, you know what? I feel awful. And I will go, well, why? So, because I'm half an hour late for everything. <laughs> so because they took the, the half an hour to do those things they didn't factor in the fact that they're now officially half an hour late for everything you know taking the kids to school getting to work doing all those things that already stressed them out the meditation actually made them worse 
So that's why you've got to look at integrating it in first. Look at the time that you have. If you can create more time, epic. But some people can't. You've got to work with a lifestyle that you have. And then you, gra- you sort of gradually progress towards the lifestyle that you want. So start with what you have. Start with where you are right now. And just gradually shift and gradually try to create that lifestyle that you actually want to have. Sounds fabulous. Yeah, a good plan there. Um, so you started off by um, telling us about hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, is there one piece of, sort of wisdom that you, if you could have told yourself 10 years ago, that make the most impact, what, what would that one thing be? Well, it's interesting because the vision that I had of like the world tours and the book tours and doing all those amazing things that I had, it is about 10 years ago. So what I would have said to that person is having the dream is okay. It's going to take a while, no matter what, options that you take no matter what choices that you make it's always going to take a while but you've got to trust yourself to make the right decisions you've got to trust yourself to make those right choices and be okay with those because you won't know the alternative you know it used I used to tell myself you know just keep doing whatever it is that you're doing because there's no other option you you can spend so long wondering and guessing and seeing if it'll actually happen. But a lot of the time, a lot of the time, you've just got to be okay with your decisions and okay with not really knowing the alternative. You've got to be okay with that. Because saying yes to things is also saying no to others that that's something you've got to be okay with fabulous that's good advice there um what compelled you to uh, write your book and what do you hope to achieve with this on your journey well the book originally came about because i was having conversations with a lot of people many years ago that found out that I had the health conditions and it was while I was a tennis coach and a personal trainer and I had cystic fibrosis and diabetes and they were like oh my god you can do all these things and you have these health conditions I'm moaning that I'm struggling to lose weight and I've got nothing wrong with me how can I have these excuses so I had to calm them down a bit and just say look you can't hate yourself for struggling in a different way to me we all have our own struggles we all have our our vices and things that we hate i do have my moments of how can that be your issue how can you moan about that you know there are so much worse things going on but like it's it's their world you know it's their world it's not yours and everyone's got their own thing that they're dealing with so after that initial conversation with them it was like look if you want to kick your excuses to the curb, great. But it's still your, still your world. You know, I'm not going to come into your world and say, you're a horrible human being for having this struggle. It's not even a struggle. You know, that's, 
that's not something that's actually helpful or actually beneficial and doesn't help anyone. So with that, you've got to sort of say, well, if they're prepared to do that, great. And they did. So they realized that all of their excuses didn't matter because their personal trainer was having a bigger battle than they were. So they got better results, heck of a lot faster. They turned around and said, I don't even feel like I'm trying very hard. This is weird. You know, they went from losing a little bit of weight to losing like six pounds in a week. And they looked amazing. They had to buy new clothes after like two weeks of having this one conversation around my health conditions. And they were like, you need to share this. You need to put this out there. You need to do more with this. You can't just, you can't just hide. You know, you've got so much to give. You've got so much to share. And it was funny because I was embarrassed by it at first. But then I started to feel this sense of responsibility as in, if I can help these people, like what, what else can I do? What else can I help people with? And that actually sparked this, this world tour dream that I had when I was 18. And it, it's all coming to fruition now because I've tried to do it in so many other ways. I've tried the, the blogs. I've tried the, you know, speaking to people. I've tried the coaching. I've tried the events. I've tried everything to share it. I've been on stage to share it. I was on, I was on Sky sharing it. And it was like, I can't go deep enough. I can't give enough information. I can't do anywhere near as much as I can writing a book whereby I hold all the cards. I hold all the information. I control all of the process. I know what goes in the book. I wrote the words, right? And it's like, I just feel this sense of responsibility now. You know, the more people that are like, this is amazing. You've got to keep sharing this. The more I just sort of feel almost obligated to do it. Because there's a real value in going through struggles and coming out the other side. And, you know, the, the book's built on hindsight anyway. So I take you through the journey of what it was like for me to be on stage, win Entrepreneur of the Year, be on TV, start my podcast, might even have a chapter in it on the book at this point, right? You know, what it was like to go through the book. And... Once that actually started to materialize, I started to realize that people can learn a lot from other people's experiences as long as it's relatable, as long as people can take what works for them from your journey. So that's why I go so in-depth into some of it, because the more I share, the more people can take from it. And if only one person reads it, great, because I can help them. It's just a way of me helping people in the best and deepest possible way. Obviously, you have to like reading. Um, it's one of the, if you don't like reading, it's probably not worth it because you're just not going to read the book anyway. But that that's something that I wanted to do. It's just a different medium. It's a different way of doing it. And it's better than like a 10-minute interview whereby you just about get the overview and then you're stuck. The book allows people to go really in depth with it, learn what was going through my mind. You know, I talk about 
struggling to walk up the stairs when I was on stage because there was a part that really didn't want to do it. Like there was, it was a physical reaction of no, don't go up the stairs. Don't go up the stairs. Don't you dare. Don't you dare go up the stairs. And then I was still walk up the stairs. So it, it was that, that was going through my head. You can't show it. I'm about to walk on stage. I'm like, yeah, woo. Inside, I'm like, don't go up the stairs. Don't you dare walk up the stairs. What are you moving your feet for? Like that, that's, that was, <laughs> I laugh now, but that, that's what happens. You know, you've got to get into a, a state whereby you're able to act scared. You've got no other option. And so many people talk about it. So many people read a book on it and think they're an expert. So many people do all those things. But the book allows the reader to learn from someone that's actually lived it. That's actually going through it. I take you behind the curtain of my brain for what was happening to me at those moments. So then people can feel like, you know, someone does it. And they feel that way as well. Like they feel exactly the same as me, right? I want them to feel okay about that. Because people don't see that. People don't notice that. You, you watch someone go, wow, they seem so confident. And it was like, they're probably screaming inside, but you'll never know. You know, that, that's what I want to share. That's what I want to do. Because I don't, I don't want people to think that it has to be perfect, it has to be amazing. It has to be easy because it doesn't. But the truth is, is that it's the people that do that, that feel that way, but do it anyway. And the real trick is carrying it off as if there was nothing wrong. I know it sounds weird. I know that it sounds like, well, how does that help anyone that is screaming at themselves inside? when they watch people do it without the, oh, oh, I can't do this. I can't do it. I can't do it. Like, so it works almost against people that are trying to do it when they see someone do it that looks like they're doing so well. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that's the trick. That's the, the skill. You're screaming at yourself, but you act as if you're not. That's a real skill. It's a real muscle that you have to develop. And unfortunately, that doesn't help people that are trying to do it. It doesn't help people that are trying to learn how to do these things. So when I realized that, I was like, because I started to feel bad. I started to hate myself for feeling bad in those moments when nobody else that I ever looked at was looking like they were feeling that way. So I felt awful. I hated myself for hating myself right? Weird combination. I know. But I hated myself for hating myself because I didn't think anybody else hated themselves and felt this way while they were doing those things. So the book wants to show people that. It wants to show people that, hey, you can feel awful. You cannot want to walk up the stairs. You cannot want to walk into that room. You cannot want to turn the microphone on. You cannot want to put the camera on. You cannot want to write those words. But still write the words, but still go into that room, but still have that conversation. And that's what it's about. I want to show people that it's possible, even if it's scary, even if you've just got to switch your brain off, 
even if thinking is the worst thing you could ever do. You know, the amount of times I've said to myself, if you think, you won't do it. If you think, you won't, you'll talk yourself out of it. You will find some way of talking yourself out of doing this thing, Mike. And that's what I want to, I want to tell people that it's okay to be scared when you do it. I want to tell people, you know, I, I don't like roller coasters. I have a very, very physical reaction to wanting to go onto a roller coaster and have completely no control over what's happening. You're on this rusty old thing that could collapse at any minute, right? My brain goes through the whole thing of, you might not make this, Mike. And it, you still, the people that do it and enjoy it, how the hell do you enjoy that? The different people, right? But the, the book <laughs> is supposed to show that side of it around doing things that business owners, entrepreneurs, anyone really that wants to do those things. You don't have to be a business owner to want to speak on stage. You don't have to be a business owner to want to start a podcast. You don't have to be a business owner to do the things that, that I've done. I've simply done it from a business perspective because that's what I do. But I'm still a human being. I still have those thoughts. I still have those feelings. Me being, me being a, an entrepreneur and not being your average person, right, in terms of the way I think, doesn't mean I don't have those thoughts or I have those feelings or I'm instantly bulletproof because I'm a business owner. It doesn't work that way. And I wanted to take people behind the scenes, behind the curtain. I might start saying behind the brain more often. I want to learn like behind the brain of the person that's actually doing it. Not just, because I read all the books. I read all the books. Nothing could have prepared me for being on stage. Nothing. And a lot of it is, like you don't realize how much you have to practice what you preach until you're in the situation until you're doing it, until the oh crap moment comes along and you've then got to figure out how the hell you're going to pull this thing off. You know, most people avoid it. Like for instance, I, I never really did a lot of stress relief type stuff, a lot of breathing related stuff. I didn't do any of that because I exercised multiple times a day. So I had the stress relief, I had the energy, I had all of that, I was eating, I did everything right because I had to, I had no choice. So a lot of the self-improvement stuff I was already doing, but from a I'm on stage perspective, I had to meditate, I had to breathe, I had to slow my breathing down from like a week before I even spoke on stage. I was like, how am I going to manage this? Exercise isn't enough anymore. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. So a lot of the time, the situation that you're in forces you to handle it. And I take people through that. I take people through the fact that I had to do it. Otherwise, I wasn't going to be able to function properly. Because here's the thing. I still had clients. I still had a business to run. I was still in the gym while this was all going on this was on top of like my normal day my normal routine and i like having a routine where it's easy to add stuff if i had to but i really had to like it put me in a state in a position whereby i had no other choice i wasn't going to manage it otherwise and again 
it's not about like, reading a book and it making all the difference. You know, you can say things a thousand times, it's got nothing at all on doing it once. And I mean that from someone that thought doing videos, right, speaking to a camera is the same and would prepare me for speaking on stage. How naive was I? Like that was, that was stupid. Like on what planet would that even help? Now, in hindsight, right? But at the time, I was like, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be fine. I can, I can do this. Do videos. And I was like, oh, prepare myself. I'll have the talk ready. No. No. It, it's not true, right? It didn't. It didn't. I mean, it helped in terms of like, if I could switch my head off and go through the motions, then yeah, you fall back on your training to a certain degree. So I started to do videos standing up. And I started to do all that, you know, to sort of like really feel like I was doing it. And um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't really help. But that, that's something that you've learned, you know, something that most people don't realize is that you can read all the books, go on all the courses, do all of that. But there was nothing that could actually prepare me, nothing that could teach me the power of self-improvement, personal development, Nothing taught me that quite like preparing to speak on stage for the first time as someone that has hated it since they were about five years old, six years old. So having that, we're talking like 10, 15 years later, I still hated it. I still had that reaction as if I was six years old. There's nothing quite like experience there's nothing quite like doing it forcing you to become the person that you need to be in order to make it work and rather than it just be a book on how to how to speak on stage in 10 easy steps right it's about look this is what it's really like this is how you're gonna feel if you don't feel as bad as i do amazing the things that i did probably help you even more you know, as someone that was freaking out, was struggling, did hate themselves for hating themselves, did hate themselves for feeling bad, you've got the opportunity to be on stage and you're actually worried and struggling and you're unsure if you can do it. If you're in that state, I want those people to also feel like they're okay, like they're not broken, like there's nothing wrong with that. You know, so many times I felt like the worst in the room, like I was broken, like there was something wrong with me. And the purpose of the book is for those people to say, look, if you want to do it, you can still do it. You're just going to have to go through darker moments than someone that doesn't feel that way. But you can still do it. You can still take the action. And I take people through the story. And then I use the, the H word again, hindsight and share people the lessons, the stories. I take people through the strategies in the moment from what I had to do just to be able to do it, just to be able to do what it is that I do. And it's funny because the cycle is quite repetitive, which means like for the things that I want to do in the future, like future Mike, um, I'm already prepared. So once you've done it a handful of times, it's like, right, if I want to do this, if I feel the need to do that, and I go, 
that's new. This is brand new. I've never done this before. And I go, ah, I recognize this from when I did this. So it's amazing what happens once you recognize the patterns. And again, I'm just teaching people from my own experience what's worked for me. But it's from the perspective of I am an anxious person. I am a worrier. I have got physical limitations. So if someone's not in as bad of a position as me, the book could be even more helpful, not less. So that's what I want to do. I want to help as many people as I can as someone that started from less than ideal, you know, in terms of my limitations, in terms of what people expected of me, um, because I didn't really have anyone to push me because they probably didn't have high expectations. They were probably like, he's probably not going to do an awful lot. We'll just sort of ride this out. And all of a sudden I'm doing things that not only did I never think I could do, but nobody thought I could do. And I want to show people that if you learn from me, you could probably do a heck of a lot more than I can. That's what I want to do with the book. Yeah. It's, it's going to be one of the hardest things to do is get up there and put yourself on stage in front of loads of other people. And you see like the glossy and TED Talks and everything where they all just look so effortless and uh, they've choreographed every last movement, every last gesture, everything like that. And you just think, oh, good grief. I could even do a a minute's talk on a Facebook Live, something like that, and uh, just the levels there is just like, oh. And and that's sort of the big barrier, like, see those guys who are like, what, what on earth could I do that uh, gets me anywhere near that level? So, yeah, that's definitely, um, like, the process and getting through to that level is just something else. Um, just to wrap up now, um, if, if you had one hour for your own self-care to do, what would you choose to do for yourself? One hour of self-care, um, I would do something physical first. So it would probably be about 10 to 20 minutes of exercise, just movement. I'd pick anything. Um, if I did something every day, I would change it every day. So I would do something different every day. Um, then I would do something for my sort of anxiousness. So I would do something to then calm myself down. So it could be breathing, meditating, going for a short walk. Because if you walk quickly, it doesn't have the same effect. So it would have to be a slow walk, calm yourself down. And then I would probably do some journaling related to what came up for me also about the day so how can i approach the day what what's my plan for today what's my intention for today and that's what i would probably do i'd start with that because well once you progress you start to ask yourself things like how can my best self approach today what would be the best outcome for today what would be the best solution for that because sometimes you've got to put yourself in the right frame of mind first before you can even come up with those kind of solutions. So exercising, meditating, walking is designed to put you in that state whereby you start to have the answers to the questions that you need to have. Yeah, sounds good. So um, 
the book's in um, going through its process at the moment. When is that released? The book is aiming to be released around the 19th of November. So I've got quite a few people on the waiting list for the book. So if you join the waiting list, you'll get a hand, you know, a whole host of goodies and there's competitions for people that buy the book and review the book, but you also get like a personal email from me when the book goes live. So it's a people, you know, the amount of people that are like, I don't want to troll through social media I'm getting to a point of how tedious it is, right? I'm starting to really do my editing. So if you join the waiting list, it goes directly into your email inbox or your like junk box, wherever the email goes. Um, it's a way, like, if you want it, you want to learn from it. I mean, there's on stage, there's TV, there's Entrepreneur of the Year, there's my backstory from like what I've gone through. You know, the the incidences that formed my beliefs, if you will. So you learn a lot about my own journey as well and my own story. Um, but it's from stage, TV, podcast, winning awards. And also I changed how I saw myself. It's going to be one of the weirdest chapters I've ever written. But that's going to be about, and that's going to be an, an, an identity chapter. Changing who I am. Changing how I called myself and if you want to learn how I do all those things and how I did it as someone that has gone through a lot and struggled and sometimes you do it even though it's hard uh, that's what the book's there for but the reason why I've done the waiting list is for people that want the book they want to get it before the price goes up because it is going to be on a, a launch offer, if you will, on launch day. It's going to be a whole heap of goodies and launch parties and competitions. And it's just you get involved with the foot. You get involved with all the events that are happening. And, you know, full transparency, it goes towards my Amazon bestseller journey, which I'm aiming for. So those of you that have no idea, Amazon based their downloads and their bestsellers off a certain amount of, people buying within a certain amount of time so it's within a certain time frame how many sales does the book get so the more i get the better obviously uh, i would love for the book to be an amazon bestseller that would rock my world right that's why i'm doing it um so yeah that that's the aim of the book i'm aiming for that i mean if i didn't want it to be an Amazon bestseller, I'd still do the waiting list because it helps me see how many people I want to help or how many people I'm able to help with the book. So it's not just about that, but it would be nice, you know, to be a best-selling author would be nice. Um, so yeah, if you want to support it, support me, support what I'm up to, then that is what I would love for you to do. Awesome. That sounds great. So, um, yeah, that sounds perfect time to uh, tell us where you can, uh, where we can find out more about you, how to connect. Well, aside from that, I'm on all social media. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, the Michael Bryan. So at the Michael Bryan on those platforms. I'm also on TikTok, but that's more just for me. That's more sort of having a laugh. If you want to check out some of the fun that I'm up to on there, then you can do that as well. But um, yeah, they're the main places.
Great stuff. It's been wonderful to chat to you, Michael. Uh, lots of uh, value there, so we appreciate that. And uh, uh, your journey that you've shared and lots of tips on how to uh, start your self-care journey. So thanks very much for being on the show. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me.